0: Welcome to Radio Curious, I'm Barry Vogel. Women Waging Peace is a global policy-oriented initiative working to integrate women into the peace process. It was founded by Swanee Hunt, a former United States ambassador to Austria. Swanee Hunt is the author of This Was Not Our War, Bosnian Women Reclaiming the Peace. In this book, she interviewed 26 Bosnian women who were reconstructing their society in the years following the devastating war in their country. These women describe what it was like living in a vibrant multicultural community suddenly imploded into an onslaught of violence. They relate the chaos, the atrocities, the rapes of neighbors and friends, their efforts to care for children and elderly parents, and to find food and clean drinking water. I spoke with Ambassador Swanee Hunt from her home near Boston, Massachusetts in February 2005 and asked her to describe the situation.
1: In Vienna, of where I was from '93 to '97, overseeing an embassy with 500 employees, one of the issues we were dealing with was the the streaming refugees who were leaving Bosnia and Croatia, Bosnia and Croatia and Slovenia. These are all republics of Yugoslavia, and Yugoslavia is just south of Austria. And it's across the Adriatic Sea from Italy. If you go due east from Italy, you hit Yugoslavia. And what was happening was that there was a a political vacuum, and into that vacuum stepped Slobodan Milosevic, who's now on trial for war crimes. And he was trying to drive out all of the people who were not Serbs. Serbs were one of the several... Ethnic uh, groups in Bosnia and in Yugoslavia. And as he was doing this, he was using atrocities to terrify people. And by atrocities, I'm talking about uh, the kinds of tactics that you would associate with Hitler. Uh, having a forcing a grandfather to eat the liver of his grandson who'd been killed right before his eyes—that kind of way beyond good and bad. I mean, this is over into the category of evil, I think. Um, and so people were were just scared to death, and they were half the housing was destroyed, and two hundred and fifty million, two hundred fifty thousand people were killed. Uh, 150,000 of those people who were killed were in Bosnia. Bosnia was tiny. It was 4 million people, the whole country.
0: Was there any motivation to Slobodan Milosevic's actions or reasonings? Did he have an explanation?
1: Well, I interviewed 26 women to try to understand what caused this war. And these women were as different from each other as could be. Different ethnic groups, rural, urban... Farmers, politicians, soldiers, journalists, etc, and they their age spanned sixty years, and their wealth ranged from jewels to uh, a few chickens and unanimously, they talked about Milosevic as being a greedy politician who was who was trying to make a power grab. Uh, This was not about age-old ethnic hatreds that had to erupt erupt into war. It really was Milosevic-driven, and it was about amassing power, plain and simple.
0: Well, President Clinton sent you to be the United States ambassador to Austria. Was going to Bosnia part of your direction? Was that part of your ambassadorial duties?
1: Interestingly, it wasn't part of my assignment per se, but it was too dangerous to have an embassy in Sarajevo. And so the United States Embassy for Bosnia was actually inside of my embassy in Vienna. I hosted that other embassy for a year and a half.
0: You were not that ambassador.
1: I was not the ambassador to Bosnia, but I made, I devoted some rooms of our embassy to Austria. To our ambassador to Bosnia, and worked side by side, hosted negotiations during the war, got to know the political leaders, and then when we opened an embassy in Sarajevo, when there was a lull in the fighting, I flew down. Now, mind you, this is not commercial flights. I flew in, strapped in a cargo plane between fifty thousand pounds of flour, and with a flak jacket and and um, helmet, running. Anyway, I, I, I flew down, and that's when our ambassador to Boston, who was opening up the new embassy, said, I'd like you to meet with the women, I'd like you to hear their stories, and I'd like you to figure out how to help them. And that was in July July 4th of 1994.
0: Well, Ambassador Hunt, can you tell us who you met and what you heard
1: Sure. And by the way, call me Swanee. That's fine. Um, I sat with these seven women who were actually, I must confess, dressed better than I was. I mean, they were wearing pearls and heels and you know, makeup, etc. One of them held up a cup of water, and she said, You see this cup? I have been taking a bath in this much water every day for two years. Now, the city was under siege by the Serbs, and it was just astonishing that this city that had hosted the Olympics I mean, really, there was the Olympic Village, and there were all of the sites of the different. Uh, competitions. This was the city that was now besieged, and there were tanks up in the hills, and they were they were shelling the city, and there were snipers who were picking off. You know, let's let's get the children one day, and then the next day, let's get anyone who has red hair. And then, I mean, it was just unbelievable, the evil that was going on.
0: These were the people who Milosevic was trying to eradicate, responding to protect their own interests.
1: Well, they couldn't have left if they had wanted to because the city was under siege. Uh, In the rural areas, people were fleeing, but you couldn't even flee Sarajevo. But, yes, they were trying to, uh, anyway, trying to hold their own and to resist. Um, The women told me stories, like one woman said that she is a cardiologist and uh, she said, I have an 84-year-old father, and I'm his only caretaker. I'm his primary caretaker. He lives a 20-minute walk from my apartment. I have not seen him for two years. The phone lines are cut. I don't know if he's alive or not.
0: And it was not safe for her to walk there.
1: She co- it, it wasn 't that it wasn 't safe. there was a barricade they had um, the city was also divided, so part of the city had been taken by the Serbs, and the rest was under siege and Another woman was a professor of architecture. At the university, and I said, "Look, uh, let me try to do something to be helpful. Uh, can I send you some architectural digest kinds of magazines? I, I can get them in with the ambassador next time he is able to fly in with a humanitarian relief uh, product from the UN." And and she looked at me and she said, "Well, yes, but what we really need, to, what we really need, are pencils." Now I, I tried to imagine. If I were a professor and my students, my architectural students, didn't have pencils, I mean, you, you start understanding in those very concrete descriptions just what the situation is in a way that otherwise you can't.
0: How did you encounter the 26 women with whom you spoke?
1: I sought them out. Uh, during the war and after the war i wanted to have a representative group this wasn't a group that already existed they didn't even necessarily know each other uh, but i wanted to pull together twenty six women who would be so different from each other that when they did say the same thing it was significant and in fact those strands of those themes that I pulled from them, they were not themes that I created in an outline and then went and interviewed these women about. I just said to them, tell me about this war. What started this war? What are you doing to try to secure the peace? And as they would talk to me hour after hour after hour, and I would videotape these interviews, I saw that there were themes that I could put into an outline there was a very sweet moment when I was interviewing one woman for the third time and this was a woman who'd been in a concentration camp and she had been through harrowing experiences. She had seen torture, she had seen killings, she and now she was trying to help stabilize the country by holding seminars on how you put together nonprofit organizations. And she was actually giving these seminars to the Serbs as well as to the Muslims. She was Muslim. But she was reaching across to the enemies, if you will, and in the post-war period, trying to teach them these things. When we sat down and went over the outline of the book that I had now created...
0: This was after the interviews?
1: After the first two rounds of interviews I was about to do a third interview with her and and I said now Msuda, Suda here is the outline as I see it she started crying and I said why are you crying I was very concerned I had said something that was hurtful or she said no I'm just so grateful this chaos has been so horrible I haven't been able to make sense of it, but you have put it into a form in which I can make sense of my own life.
0: Can you tell us what that form is? what the common threads were among the many women with you uh, with whom you spoke and before you do that i'd like to say that in this edition of radio curious we're talking with former ambassador swanny hunt she was sent to vienna austria by president william clinton she's the author of a of a book entitled this was not our war Bosnian Women Reclaiming the Peace. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. What was the common thread, Swanee?
1: The women were intent that the war did not have to happen. This was not an inevitable eruption of violence. The last time people in Yugoslavia had been fighting, France and Germany were fighting. No one expects France and Germany to go back to war. Yugoslavia did not have to go back to war. And they completely rejected what we were hearing in the press about, oh, well, there are age-old ethnic hatreds, this is a religious war, we shouldn't get involved, we shouldn't intervene. They said, no, this is, this is political hoodlums. This is gangs who are coming in with tanks. They are raping and pillaging, and the rest of the world ought to step in and stop this from happening. Another very important theme had to do with the media. And, in fact, I have a quote from one of the women, Alenka Savich, which I would love to read to you.
0: Yes, could you please?
1: Sure. And I'll do it in her voice because she has a very sort of uh plain-spoken kind of voice. She, lived in the, she lives in the town of Tuzla, and she was an engineer by training. If we could live together 50 years, why can't we now? No matter how bad the shelling was, even though we were Serbs and the shelling was by Serbs, we didn't feel pressured. What happened here was never about ethnicity or religion. That's a fake excuse used by the politicians who started the war. I asked myself, what happened? Bosnians are good people, but we had no democratic traditions, and we weren't taught to think independently, so when some idiots came along, they could manipulate the population. Masses are just stupid. Hitler was a genius at manipulating crowds, and many of these crazy politicians were psychiatrists, so they probably knew how to sway people. The media campaign was in small bits. We didn't see the whole picture. Long before the war, newspapers started drumming up support for greater Serbia. They called for revenge from World War II atrocities. They said, kill them or they'll kill you. And you get so used to the propaganda, you can't recognize it anymore. You need outsiders to say, this is bullshit. Because if someone tells you lies all the time, you forget it's a lie, and it becomes the truth. Oh, this is hard for outsiders to believe. I have a cousin who's lived in New Jersey for 12 years, and he called during the war and asked about my children. And I said, well, they're playing indoors and working on the computer. They have computers? I said, of course. He was dumbfounded. I said, my dear cousin, this is a modern war. You have shells and you have computers. You have cameras and you have slaughter. Evenings we'd sit around the TV watching our country burning, then some latest movie would come on. There was always this disconnect between the nightmare and real life. Sometimes in the middle of the night, the electricity would suddenly start up, and everyone would plug in their electric cookers and their radios and TVs. I'd step out on my balcony and, in the quiet of night, hear vacuum cleaners humming throughout the neighborhood. Now that the fighting is over, women can reconcile more easily than men because we have common ground across any divide. We have our small, concrete agendas, everyday life, homes, children. This wasn't our war.
0: Swanee Hunt, former ambassador appointed by President Clinton to Austria and author of... This Was Not Our War, Bosnian Women Reclaiming the Peace. How is it that you spoke only with women as opposed to women and men?
1: Oh, I spoke to many men.
0: But they're not included in your book.
1: That's right. When the books came out describing what had happened in Bosnia, they were filled with accounts of conversations with the warriors. And I thought, there's a voice missing here. I had no intention of writing this book when I first was meeting these women. But after I saw the books coming out, I realized that if I didn't write it, history would once again be recorded as his story, and it was important to get women's voices added to that mix.
0: Let's talk about the fact that women's voices are not often included in that mix, yet women make up half, if not more than half, of the population. Why is that?
1: In some situations, they're actually 60% or 65% of the survivors. And so it's all the more ridiculous that their voices are not being heard. I asked the U.N., after I left um, my work in Eastern Europe and came to Harvard, I was meeting with a U.N. official and I said, why aren't there women on the negotiating teams in these conflicts in Africa? And the U.N. official said, well, the, war, the warlords won't have women because they're afraid the women will compromise. And I thought, well, bingo. I mean, obviously that's, that's what a negotiation is about. But there is this perception that the women won't hold the line and they'll try too hard to achieve the peace.
0: Yet you say it's easier for women to cross the line when the peace was signed because they didn't do
1: the shooting. It's an interesting phenomenon. Uh, that was that point was made to me by Yelka Cabo in Mostar. She said uh And mostar was a uh city that was completely divided, and there was sh- uh shooting going from one side to the other um, and She said that after the peace was signed, the women could go across town and they could do it safely and start the healing process and the reconciliation process because the assumption was that they were not the ones who were doing the killing beforehand. And so, in a way, women's second-class citizenship sometimes works as a help. I have seen that in conflicts all over the world. I've worked in 35 different conflicts with over 400 women.
0: Let's talk about ethnic cleansing. That was not a common term prior to the war in Bosnia in the early 90s. And it seems to me like a, a euphemism for something almost like genocide
1: the term genocide has a policy mandate so that now because of the genocide convention that that many countries or if not all have signed if it's genocide then then intervention is required and so people wait and wait and wait and wait before naming uh, a conflict genocide because they may not want to respond to it. Ethnic cleansing, to me, is one of the most horrible products. That term is one of the most horrible products of this war.
0: It presumes that some ethnicities are dirty.
1: That's exactly right. That, to use a word that would imply that at the end of it you have a clean uh, state is is so insulting. It's a, it's an outrage. So. The times I used ethnic cleansing, I, I put it in quotes or uh, or made some comment about it in my book.
0: One of the horrors that you refer to in that portion of the book, and you call that portion Hell Breaks Loose, and you talk about the wanton rape of women and girls.
1: The rape camps that were set up where women would be captured and then incarcerated in in makeshift brothels. This wasn't the first time such a a tactic had been used. It's raping the women of the other side is a way of humiliating the men. It's not about sex. It's about power. Uh, But what happened is the UN had a conference for women in Beijing while the war was still going on. And the fact that these rape camps existed became a rallying cry at that U.N. conference. And as a result of that, there was tremendous pressure when the War Crimes Tribunal was set up to name rape, systematic rape, as a war crime And that happened. So this was a very important step for women. We got away from the, well, you know, boys will be boys, and to the victor go the spoils, and those spoils include women's bodies. We got away from that with this war.
0: Do you think that was a successful escape?
1: Yes, I I think that that was an important policy change.
0: We hear about the concepts of ethnic cleansing and the rape camps, particularly in this war. Is that because they are suppressed in reports of other wars?
1: Yes. I just came back from Sudan, and there is nothing that happened in Bosnia that hasn't happened in parallel in Sudan. And that war has been going on for 36 years so it, we have our, you know, war du jour in terms of the media, and it really depends on, on where we've sent reporters and cameras in terms of what kind of news the American people are getting.
0: Swanee Hunt, you are the founder and the chair of Women Waging Peace. Can you tell us about that group?
1: Sure. It's an initiative that I started to uh, bring the voices of women into the policy arena and to make sure that they were represented in formal peace processes like negotiations or informal peace processes, like we just saw in Ukraine, the street protests that overturned the election, the corrupt election. Um, Many of those have very strong women's leadership, and you'll I'm sure you've noticed that the new prime minister of Ukraine uh, is a woman, and she was one of the, the leaders of those street protests. Um, we have worked, my staff and I have worked, as I said, in many conflicts from Colombia to Cambodia, to from Rwanda to Northern Ireland, and we find leading women who may be in university, they may be students in the university, or they may be uh, ministers in the government. And we profile them. We bring them together and we write about their work. We do video interviews. And we also take them to meet with President Bush or Jim Wolfenson, the head of the World Bank, or U.N. officials, et cetera. And we've linked... About 400 women with over 4,000 policymakers.
0: Can you tell us how someone can contact Women
1: Waging Peace? Well, um, there's a, a website, womenwagingpeace.net. It's .net for network. And uh, you can read about many of the women that we've worked with there. And if, if people want to somehow make a connection with some of those women, they should let us know. Um, or they can contact the women directly and offer to be helpful to them in some way. We bring a lot of women over every year, and if, if there were someone among your li- listeners or your um, your website readers who wanted to somehow have... One of these women, for example, come to their university and spend a week. There could be some wonderful, enriching partnerships.
0: And those contacts can be made by contacting womenwagingpeace.net.
1: Well, that's where you would find out the information. And um, they could call the Hunt Alternatives Fund in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
0: Ambassador Swanee Hunt, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately?
1: I have reread a book from my theological training. It's by Paul Tillich, who is an existential theologian. It's called The Courage to Be, and he talks about courage in terms of accepting yourself and fully engaging in the world around you. And I think that these women from my book, This Was Not Our War, represent that kind of courage.
0: Ambassador Swanee Hunt, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious.
1: You're so welcome.
0: Swanee Hunt is the author of This Was Not Our War, Bosnian Women Reclaiming the Peace. The book that she recommends is The Courage to Be by Paul Tillich. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at RadioCurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.